Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, May 23rd. Excuse me. Today is Tuesday, May 31st, 2022. I am John Bonhortz, the editor of Commentary. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. And joining us for the last time this summer, even though it is not yet summer, as I will explain in a minute, senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. So, Christine, you are making a a variety of transitions. First of all, you are taking the summer off from the podcast in order to focus on completing your book on tech. Yes. And uh, I'll be doing that at the Kluge Center at the Library of Congress, which is great. I'm having a lot of fun diving back into archives and reading lots of great old books. Um, But yeah, I'll be finishing up a book about technology and culture that's long overdue that uh, still has no pub date yet, but will be finished in August. So looking forward to that. And then I'll be and, back. Uh, and, 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 uh, and Christine will be back in September, although transitioning to a different role at, at commentary uh, as she is leaving our staff, but will continue to be uh, our media critic and will continue to be on the podcast. And we'll continue so, to lobby to be called Zarina, but we're not there yet. Maybe okay. In 10 years. Anyway, <laughs> so so to listeners of this podcast, with the tragic ab- exception of her absence this summer, uh, there will be no there will be no change in Christine's uh, status uh, or, or role, um, and so uh, we will have a variety of substitutes guests uh, st- over the summer, um, and we'll see how that. We'll improvise and see how that goes, but we will we will miss you and uh, and uh, we will look forward Likewise. to reading reading the book. Uh, and uh, of course, Noah Rothman, you have a book coming out. Uh, we have a huge excerpt from the book uh, in the July August issue of Commentary, which we'll be closing in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, on uh, I think we're calling it "You Are What You Don't Eat." The excerpt. But um, but your book uh, is available for pre-order at Amazon. So yes. let's start. Let's start pushing it. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, very grateful for the opportunity to publish that excerpt in the magazine. Uh, I don't think anyone else is publishing up excerpts. So if you want a free taste, go get that issue when it comes out. Um, yes, that that section is on food. And when you don't think about the book is obviously, as we've talked to this audience about, the rise of the new Puritans fighting back against progressives war on fun. So it has nothing to do with the workplace or school or anything not fun unless you're in the business of creating cultural products that are entertaining and enjoyable because then your workplace is very much a a focus of this book. But yes, that one's on food and you don't think about food particularly when you think about puritanical tastes and really the staid Victorian Uh, ethos that evolved from uh, a puritanical mode of thought. Um, But there are striking parallels when you read the uh, individuals who were steeped in the Puritan milieu, who um, engaged in self-deprivation as a means of uh, emulating Christ and torturing yourself and the big displays of self-deprivation and, um, and ethnic categories and class categories, the sort of outward behaviors that will communicate to the world around you who you are and to whom you're subordinate. Uh, that's very much apparent in food culture then and today. 
Uh, so I and, hope I hope you uh, yeah. read it and enjoy it and tell me. Anyway, what you think. it's also what 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 you're not getting from Noah's account here is how hilar- the hilarious uh, the just absolute cascade of hilarious examples of people being uh, torturing themselves and being tortured by the new PC woke dispensation that says you're not allowed to cook anything unless your great great grandparents came from the region where the pepper that was grown to put be put in the stew uh, was grown uh, or located. Uh, otherwise, you are culturally appropriating food trucks being forced to close attacks on chefs. And then, of course, my, you know, my favorite, which is the idea that you're going to start to judge kitchens and chefs by the question of how they you know how, how diverse their staffs are as opposed to how good their food is anyway and of course uh, eating bugs eating bugs and, 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 is and, never yeah, appetizing bugs it's never a, talked right. about as an appetizing form of sustenance yes. you're saving the world yeah you're supposed that's, to eat bugs now that is anyway. what the satisfaction you derive from this activity it's not appealing in any way you're engaging in self-sacrifice and the sense of uh, of uh, mission that you get from that is is what's satisfying not the actual sustenance lots of protein lots of protein and bugs not so enough not as them. much as you think anyway it is a hilarious and uh and an oddly delightful piece rise of the new puritans by noah rothman get it at amazon barnes and noble pre-order pre-order it now get that book bu- you know well, if you pre-order thank you. i want to say means- briefly while you were away one yeah. week i did push this i said you know guys pre-order if you could and the podcast really stepped up. the The book went from like a hundred thousand because it's not out yet on Amazon, like a hundred thousand to like within ten thousand, which is a lot of move uh, units to move. So I'm very grateful to the podcast audience for that. Anyway, your pub date is what? End of June? Uh, July fifth. July fifth. Okay, so uh, at least you'll be nicely sated by your July fourth barbecue before you have to read about how you should eat bugs. And uh, and uh, and not eat good food because it was cooked by white hands. Anyway, Rise of the New Puritans, Christine Rosen off to write her book on tech. Uh, so that just leaves Abe, Abe and me, uh, you know, not having any books to sell. And we're I'll be appearing on the sidewalks of New York all summer. <laughs> wandering. Now, see, sometimes, that's gonna in sell mask, out. <laughs> sometimes not in a mask. I don't know. Abe texted right. us last night to say that he was on a Q train. That's uh, a subway train, and and, and uh, it was the only person uh, wearing a mask, even though he doesn't believe that you should wear masks. Because yeah, I've been in both situations. I've been the only person not wearing a mask too. And you know, I the- still, I I believe that the masking is preposterous, and I'm still, I still wear them on subways because, like, I I follow the. It says you should wear a mask. You know, that's the. I you know, it's like this is not what I'm going to practice my civil disobedience on. Uh, oddly, I feel like it's uh, it's 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 too minor uh, a thing. And then also, I don't want to get into any fights. I go back and forth. It depends on my mood. Sometimes I'm I I break the rules. Sometimes I follow the rules. <clears throat> but I find either way, when I'm in the minority, which I learned last night, I, I'll dig in. I'll, <laughs> I'll stand my ground. You're, if I'm the only right. one without the mask, the I get you're, angry you're, at everyone else. Mr. If I'm the only mask. one with the mask, I get angry at everyone else. There you go. So now, now we understand the true purpose of being, or the true value of being a minority is is that you are defiantly yourself, no matter 
what view you might be holding at that that uh, that given moment. You know who else is defiantly himself? Joe Biden. President Joe Biden defiantly himself uh, told uh, the Naval Academy uh, at whose grad at whose graduation he spoke that he had uh, actually been appointed uh, or I don't know, given a commission as a cadet in 1965. This uh, is not true. Uh, he said that it's, it's not true. So, you know, maybe Corn Pop got a commission in the Navy. I'm not sure. But um, this um, we have this constant stream of weird, tall tales that he that he tells. And but wasn't uh, Corn Pop real? I thought they found Corn Pop. Well, I'm not saying Corn Pop. Corn Pop may or may not be, let's say Corn Pop is real. Many of the stories that involve Corn Pop <laughs> have, are of suspicious provenance, just like the many homily, you know, many, many homiletic statements made by uh, his father and his, um, and his uh, relatives that you always know that something is coming that you should not trust when Biden says, and he used to say to me, Joey, Whatever follows the word Joey is more than likely to be untrue or made up. So he's a fabulist of some sort. Anyway, he is defiantly himself. This is not a, re you know, we, did, we can do character studies till the cows come home about why on earth a guy who actually makes it to the presidency of the United States has to tell, has to like claim accomplishments that he did not have when he has one of the accomplishments that only 45 other people in the history of the planet has achieved so I, I why why this remains a personality quirk that he has is very kind of sad and disturbing like you could think he could sort of like drop it now because he got to the top of the greasiest of all greasy poles but no anyway but that is not what we're going to talk about Biden why we want to talk about Biden today we want to talk about Biden today because Noah, poor Joe Biden. It's so sad. Do you guys know that it's really hard to be a president and 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 you have a lot of challenges and geez, and then people expect things of you. And when things don't go exactly the way that you would want them, people then give you bad approval. It's just not fair. Right, Noah. Let's let's discuss this jaw-dropping article that lays out the many reasons why we should be feeling sorry for the unfairness with which Joe Biden is being treated. It's uh, today's must-read via NBC News. Inside a Biden White House adrift, and <clears throat> the piece is actually valuable because of the psychological study that it engages in in the president but he is uh, he is as you say beset he's reportedly unhappy with staffers who feel that um they must clean up his comments when he makes as he so often does statements that contradict long-standing u.s policy or contradict his administration's position on issues or are just generally incomprehensible um it goes on to talk about the ways in which biden's performance quote, need to take account of the epic challenges he faced from the start, as though a single administration in the history of the presidency has ever had no epic challenges or inherited nothing to speak of just blank slate. Um, 
And it talks about that quotes advisors and people who are president presidential historians saying Biden inherited, quote, the most daunting set of challenges, arguably since Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And in a companion Wall Street Journal op-ed written by the president, presumably by people around him because it has his byline. It goes on to lash out corn at pop, the federal. Corn pop, corn pop wrote it. Corn pop wrote, yeah. wrote this piece, lashes out at the Federal Reserve and Congress and particularly Republicans who continue to exist. Um, despite the fact that they are in the minority in Congress, they are nagging source of frustration. And as I'm reading this piece, all I can think of is Barack Obama's presidency, in part, in part because it was invoked in this piece. Somebody said, uh, quote, I've heard him say recently that he used to say about President Obama's tenure that everything landed on his desk but locusts. And now he understands how that feels. Barack Obama spent much of his presidency mourning his lamentable circumstances faced the worst challenges ever. He inherited a mess. He was failed repeatedly by his staff who, who had to come up and clean up his remarks. You didn't build that. The private sector is doing fine. Um, his comments, his hot mic comments to Dmitry Medvedev, all this had to be cleaned up. And of course, Republicans who continue to exist bedeviled his entire presidency. Trump did this to a certain degree too. But the way in which they engage in this self-pity is just like, it, it is a stage of grief uh, and a sign along the long road to a failed presidency. It's also I want to go I, through. Oh, go ahead. Christine, I just want to add that one of the things that's so jarring about this, this, oh, poor me. Oh, so many. Uh, he's this martyr complex. He seems to have developed since his presidency began is that he hasn't actually acted as if he's facing crises as serious as FDR faced. He goes to Delaware for four day weekends almost every week, unless he's traveling overseas, which is done a handful of times. He has not held very many press conferences or interviews. He's actually not been that engaged with the public. Actually, we should basis. say this. This is an important point. Biden has not sat for a one-on-one -on -one interview. This, exactly. is a, this is an important point for 114 days. Now, why is that important? Because we've seen them at press conferences and things like that. It is important because a one-on-one -on -one interview, which goes on for 10, 12, even 20, 30 minutes, is the moment at which someone can judge whether or not the person who is across from him can maintain and hold and conduct a conversation in which they respond to questions that they were not prepared for and in which they can make an accounting of themselves. And one of the reasons to believe that there are issues with Biden's mental faculties is this is one of these is that he will not do this because um can he keep the thread like we've seen him at press conferences he can keep the thread but we don't know how much of those are prepared we don't know well the questioning is even vetted at many of those he has a list right. of who he's going to call well, he has on a list and therefore we don't you know but but basically and then of course we know when he really does get a question he doesn't expect he gets very rattled but it's an important point that you know, most presidents love to have be behind. I mean, I guess he he had some lunch with Tom Friedman, which was off the record, and Tom Friedman said, you know, he's despairing for the country, and so am I, because look look at how much he's done. But he didn't actually say, boy, he was really a fantastic. That tuna sandwich must have been spectacular. And it made you more suspicious, not not reassured at all. After reading right, that column, right, I was even more right. concerned. But 100, 114 days, like I'm not a big believer in the, oh, the president hasn't had enough press conferences. Like they even tried that with Trump. It was like talked like 17 times a week. 
and stuff like that. And then they complained that Trump was having too many press conferences. It was talking too much to the press because they couldn't keep up with his lies, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, Biden not being able to sit down for an interview with a reporter, that's very telling. But not only is he not acting as if he's a man facing unprecedented challenges in the sense that he's going to Delaware, that he's not getting before the American people, that he's not sitting down for interviews. He has, from a policy standpoint, ignored the challenges and decided instead to shoot for the moon and be the next FDR. Um, that's left out entirely in this account of, of how these problems, so many of them and so many aspects of them, are of his own making. Oh, very much yeah, uh, like Obama. Because, you know, right. what would Obama complain? Oh, you know, ISIS, that came out of nowhere. No, it didn't come out of nowhere. You recklessly Precisely. withdrew all U.S. troops from Iraq and that's and therefore got well, ISIS. You, the debt doubled under Barack Obama. And, then, and he blames her. Oh, Republicans are complaining about this debt as though they didn't contribute to it. They did, but they didn't double it. And Biden's complaining that his own party's leaders, the Democrats, are not going on TV to defend him enough. I mean, that speaking to, to that point, Abe, it's like, well, because he's kind of not been a leader of his party. And, you know, he's he's actually called out members of his own party for not doing his, you know, shoot the moon FDR agenda. So, of course, they're not going to go on television, defend him. Look at his poll numbers, which he also is evidently reportedly very, very upset about. Um, remember when he called Kirsten Cinema? Um uh, was it Lester Maddox, Jefferson Davis? No. Uh, because she wouldn't go along. That Jefferson, that was part of the uh, Jim Crow 2.0 speech. And that the politicians who weren't agreeing to, you know, his agenda uh, were um, Jefferson Davis in, you know, in, in, in new, in new clothing, you know, in new clothing like that. That was his, he was so mad. Remember? I mean, you're, you, uh, Noah's squinting at me, so I'm, I've got a. I, I I've don't recall it. That's so egregious. Hold on. Oh yeah, Cinema was refusing to end the filibuster. Remember, he wanted to end the mm -hmm. filibuster so they could pass the voting, the, right? Whatever, so, yeah. the, whatever, whatever it was called. The no vote one's allowed to vote for Stacey Abrams Act of 2021. Um, he said, do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? So because Cinema said she would not vote to overturn the filibuster, she was on the side of Jefferson Davis. That's the kind of party leader that he is. Um, it goes without saying, of course, that Joe Manchin is uh, Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis. So we'll just leave that to one side. So, I mean, um, what you're saying is Joe, Joe Biden is very underserved by his staff, just not in the way that he resents and laments. What do you, what do you mean? I mean, he, he didn't, that wasn't a, that was for pre prepared remarks. He didn't come up with that off the fly, right? right? Well, he, this was a strategy. It was a threat. It was a strategy, brilliant strategy really worked. I mean, that's the funny thing about the, um, you know, the funny thing about these these discussion points about Biden's really losing it now. He's really had it. He's had it on guns. He had it on the filibuster. He had it on voting rights. He's really had it on this. He's had it on that. He's had it on the other thing. You know what? Like, you are really impotent. Like, you keep having it on things and then nothing changes. So maybe you should stop having it because you look like a loser i mean that is literally how you're a loser it's like are you gonna stand are you 
I am going to use the most incendiary rhetoric possible to scare the bejesus out of you so that you will do what I want. And he does it, and then nothing happens. And then it's like, gee, you really have a lot of persuasive power there, buddy. Nice work. Good, good going. I mean, I am, I am, it's fascinating to watch. Can we talk about the other part of that article, which is uh, the claim that the real problem here is that no one's talking about everything he's accomplished? Because I started to, I'm like, hmm, thinking, thinking. The fact that none of us who follow politics regularly can instantly name, oh yeah, that thing he got done that was clearly not some bipartisan effort. Like what? what's the thing that Joe Biden has done so far in his presidency? The infrastructure everyone- bill. Infrastructure. Okay, that's not what they want to talk about. That's why the journal, yeah. the journal piece is a companion piece to this NBC News thing because the marching orders have gone out. You see, anybody remotely associated with this White House in an advisory capacity is talking about how they have to go on this whirlwind tour to explain to Americans why the economy they resent so much is actually really good. Kiss a death if they do this. If that's their strategy to try to again, they think they're talking themselves into the idea that they can explain these conditions away. And going back to the Barack Obama analogy, that is exactly what they did in 2012. And they think it probably worked for them in 2012. But explain to them that, yeah, actually, job growth is really good. Actually, you know, your uh, investments are up and uh, your portfolio is up. And so you should be thanking us, America. Um, Good luck. But that was not the key to uh, Obama's victory in 2012. The key to Obama's victory in 2012 was that he said, that guy puts dogs on the roof of his car and kills people with his hedge fund. And you don't want to be voting for him. I mean, that he they, they went so negative, so fast, so hard on Romney once it became clear that Romney was the candidate that um, Romney never was able to get his sea legs back and handle it. Uh, Obama did not run on his record. He really, really did not run on his record. Uh, He tried in 2010 to run on his record to help the Democrats and got his hat handed to them. Biden is going to try to spend 2010 running on his record, which is great because his record is he spent $6 trillion dollars we're heading toward 10% inflation unless he agrees. He's meeting with, um, with Jay Powell today, the head of the Federal Reserve, in which he is going to try to look as though he is part of the effort to kill the inflationary spiral. Because in, in this Wall Street Journal op-ed, he says, we might expect job growth to really slow down now. But we're creating 500,000 new jobs a month. We might expect it to slow down to 150,000. That's the necessary pain that could come with our efforts here. Um, so he, he's going to want to piggyback on the Federal Reserve's efforts to, to deal with the inflationary spiral while simultaneously claiming that he has no responsibility for the inflationary and, spiral. And throwing money at student loans again. Didn't that come back up over the weekend? Wasn't it, I'm going to give everybody 10 grand for their loans? That's that's returned for the vengeance. That, that, that's right. because he's faced by unprecedented problems. So that's right. that's what he's focused. Anyway, there's details in that. We, I don't want to gloss over that because that did come out, I think it was Friday or Thursday. And the new details of this plan, which may or may not happen yet, but looks like it will happen is, yes, $10,000 in debt relief for you as an individual who earns $150,000 a year, or if you file as a couple jointly, $300,000 a year in income. In income, annual income, 
Democrats are going to have to explain to the public who struggle to put $45 in their tank why people who are making that much money per year get $10,000 in debt relief. It's madness. And why the working poor who might have that exact same amount in medical debt or other sorts of debt don't get a break at all from that. But the college educated wealthy do. This 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 brings up another difference between Obama facing midterms and Biden, which is that Obama didn't only successfully demonize Romney. Um, he was able to paint the Republicans as the main hindrance to. So even if you even if you thought he was moving too slowly, if he wasn't changing the world's uh, dramatically enough for your tastes, it was because the Republicans w- wouldn't let him. The problem with Biden is. There's disunity in his own party, and that's on him. Uh, he can't corral his own forces here. Look, the simple fact is, if he could corral his own forces here, he has 50 senators and you know, and a and a margin of five in the House. Like it's not like Obama had 59, 60 senators and a gigantic House majority that he lost. I mean, he did have. He had the means and the and the opportunity to pass historic legislation, which he did. And then he had to deal with the consequences that the legislation didn't look as good to people once it was passed as it did to him when he pushed it through from the stimulus to Obamacare to Dodd-Frank and to the partial nationalization of the automobile industry, which is why, despite having had a record of accomplishment, I mean, an actual record of accomplishment, he couldn't run on his accomplishments in 2012 because they weren't popular enough. Biden's problem is his accomplishments are incredibly unpopular, meaning like the COVID relief package is actually not popular. The $6 trillion spending is clearly not that popular. And he has nothing else to claim. I mean, what does he have to claim? Chaos in Afghanistan? I mean, the one thing that he could claim, although this is now getting muddier is, you know, that he was resolute in bringing our allies together to make a stand on Ukraine and brought, you know, brought NATO back from its kind of incredibly weakened uh, position because of Trump's attacks on NATO, that he's NATO is now revivified. It's now going to expand still further with Sweden and Finland. And, uh, and, uh, and NATO now so has a purpose in making sure that this unwarranted invasion uh, on the European mainland is is reversed only is the is the invasion going to be reversed what role are we going to play in that there is this story over the weekend that Biden is defiantly determined not to give Ukraine the the kind certain types of ordinance that could reach Russia uh missiles that could reach Russia. And if you read some of the people that I trust, that's like, uh, well, first of all, so Russia gets to fire at will on Ukraine from its territory, but it cannot, but it's, but it cannot be answered because Ukraine doesn't have the weaponry to respond. Um, and so that leads the Wall Street Journal's editorial page, among others, to say, is Biden already creating the conditions under which he is implicitly sort of following the Henry Kissinger line and telling Zelensky to go this far and no farther, because at some point you're going to have to negotiate a settlement that will involve the actual um, legal retrocession of parts of you know, the Donbass and Crimea to Russia. You will allow, you will, you will say we are we accept that Russia 
has now has taken control of these Ukrainian territories. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it's a perfectly arguable supposition to make if Biden is once again, as he was at the beginning of the war, starting to balk at supplying Ukraine with the with the actual weaponry that it might need, given the changes in the battlefield realities there. You know, that the surrender of Mariupol has freed up Russian troops to go elsewhere and uh we were having this conversation last week, we would say Ukraine was on its heels <clears throat> because they have been engaging, the Russian side has been engaging in successful offensives in and around Donbass. Um, but over the course of the last week, Ukrainian forces have reclaimed territory, have begun putting more pressure on. They're <clears throat> approaching the border uh, in and around Kharkiv, which is a Russian border that they share directly, which is the only reason why the threat posed by engaging in Russian territory, which Ukrainian partisans likely are, and, and Ukrainian missiles likely are, um, is that Ukraine has pushed to the Russian border. That's the only reason why they're in a position to engage directly in Russian territory. <clears throat> and I, that's not something that MLRS, multiple launch rocket systems, which is what we're talking about here in a specific long rocket, long range rocket that is used in these systems. That's not why they, they made it to the border. All the weaponry that we've given them and NATO has given them, uh, plus did that long range howitzers, for example, which they have, can achieve the same thing, the same effect. So we're weirdly going back to this place that, as you said, John, we were in March where we're talking ourselves into the idea that certain platforms and certain systems would be escalatory. And it's a conversation amongst ourselves. It's 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 not like Russia's in, engaging in this dialogue with us. Um, subtly, you know, are, are reading signals one way or the other. We're just sort of talking ourselves into the idea that they can't have planes, but then they need planes. So then eventually they get the planes. It's a strange exercise. Well, it's not a strange exercise if you look at this as uh, Biden wants the credit for the revivified for this, you know, muscular response to Russian aggression. But it doesn't, you know, Wars are dynamic and ever-changing, and the battlefield changes, and the needs and realities change over time. And so, you know, you pass your $40 billion aid package. That's great, although a lot of that money is for stuff that isn't really, you know, directly related to the fighting as it's going on right at the moment, but other stuff. But two weeks later, that could no longer be what you need because you can't guess you can't guess that you know if the again if the ukrainians get uh, uncomfortably close from the from the russian perspective to the russian border um one of the ways you win a war is by is by uh, unexpected offensives and unexpected victories that make you allow you to punch a hole in the will and spirit of the person you're fighting and that and if we're going to sit here and say, well, you know, we can give them this, but we can't give them that because that's just too provocative. But I mean, winning a war when you are the David and not the Goliath requires provocative, surprising and, you know, startling action. And if they if they can provide the possibility of it and our job, if we're going to be involved in this, is to sort of hand them the material 
are deciding unilaterally that we're not going to hand them the material means that you don't get credit for being the full-throated muscular responder to the Russian aggression. You're showing a lot more skepticism or ambiguity about it than than you 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 seem to. So once again, Biden, you know, if Biden wanted to go all in on this and say, "I saved Ukraine, I saved I saved Europe," he can't do it half-assed. You know, I mean, I mean to be fair, we okay. the United States has provided more material support and assistance and ter- actual platforms and weapon systems than I think every other European nation combined. Yeah, but we have more, Matt, we have more of this stuff than every European nation combined times 10. I mean, you're right. I mean, you're obviously right. I'm not defending the bizarre conduct of Germany, right, which got all gung-ho and rah-rah, you know, publicly and said that they were increasing their defense budget and they learned so much and all this and then, Apparently, Olaf Schultz is like doing whatever he can not to fight, not to involve Germany in the war, if at all possible. So I'm not defending them. I'm just saying that, you know, who else has a weapon system that could be sent to Ukraine with weapon with with missiles that could help them win the war? Does, you know, France? I don't know. Maybe they have a couple of missile platforms. I don't think they have like, you know. They don't have a lot to spare, and we, in an odd way, we have some to spare. So, I'm, you know, in that sense, complaining that we're, you know, we're disproportionate. We are just we're the we're the, we're the leader of the free world, and they're not. We are NATO, and they're not. Like it's great that there's this alliance of you know 28 countries that is fighting this, but we are we are the we are the brawn, right? I mean, the Ukrainians are the brawn, but when it comes to, you know, the 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 materiel, we're the brawn. I just don't I don't know if this is going to I'm sorry, Christine, continue. I just don't know if this is going to hold because we had a very similar conversation about fixed wing aircraft two and a half months ago. That right. Was I don't think it will like, hold. Yeah. Right. After a couple of weeks. No, but I mean, if the, look. If this ultimately ends up in in, in any situation in which Putin is somehow slightly better off than when than when he was was waiting on the border and the american response is well we tried it will be a massive failure uh for for the us for joe biden certainly and and i would say for ukraine it's so also that the, yeah. I just want to add one other thing, which is the way that Bi- the Biden administration talks about these things really doesn't help the average American understand or give him the benefit of the doubt in terms of uh, the direction his administration is heading, which is why his uh, right direction, wrong direction numbers is the country headed in the right direction, wrong direction are so terrible. He did. He you know, they, they spent all this money and time poll testing the phrase ultra MAGA. So he trots out this phrase ultra MAGA and it very quickly becomes kind of a, you know, ironic meme on the right. Even if you don't like Trump, you're going to jokingly say, oh, that's very ultra MAGA. They don't. They, there's a tin ear there. there. There's a sense of not understanding um, what regular people want to hear from a leader at a time of multiple crises. And instead, we just get poll tested things he trots out and or we get angry Joe Biden denouncing, you know, calling people calling a Jim Crow or or we get, you know, whispering corn pop Biden, which is even more disconcerting. Um, just strange because this is, I mean, of all the 
policies that this administration and the last administration engaged in, to be fair. Um, this is supporting Ukraine's uh, war effort here and supporting Ukrainian defense before the invasion is among the most popular things you can do in office. It's got bipartisan support broadly. I mean, to be fair, Donald Trump did a lot of talking down of NATO, but the arms, equipment, and training that we're seeing Ukraine uh, engaging on the battlefield occurred mostly under his watch. Uh, that was a unified NATO effort. Um, Trump supplied weapons, approved supplying weapons, and Ukrainian forces received their uh, advanced training that they got from NATO allies over the course of that presidency. So this is there's a long history here now of bipartisan support for this project, Ukrainians, Ukrainian sovereignty generally, uh, and undermining it in any way is politically risky. Um, before we go, I wanted to acknowledge the passing of a dear friend of commentaries, Richard Stone, uh, who uh, known to many in the Jewish community as uh, at one time uh, chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Richard was a, um, a professor at uh, the Columbia University Law School, a tax professor, a venture capitalist, um, an activist uh, on behalf of the Jewish people uh, for his uh, entire life, um, and uh, a dear uh, friend to commentary, a, a wonderful wit and uh, an endlessly amusing uh, person who uh, uh, loved to talk, loved to laugh, uh, loved ideas, loved his children. Um, and uh, and uh, he died suddenly uh, over the weekend. And, uh, and it's a really, a really great loss. Um, Christine, we will miss you, as I said. Uh, Likewise, I'll miss you guys. And uh, and uh, we will we will we'll we'll be at we'll be at three quarters strength, but we'll we'll see we'll see how we we'll see how we can function uh, until we until we get you back. So, uh, happy summer to you writing a book. Thank that's you. that's actually a kind of a curse in a certain way. So <laughs> it's true. Like yeah. So. <laughs> So you you deserve it. Deserve it. Go go have fun. <laughs> That's what go I get for abandoning us. the podcast. <laughs> exactly right, right. So uh, for for Christine for the last time for a couple of months and Noah and Abel John Butler, it's keep the camera.